his social life. It's the Darren Show. The Darren Show. Don't ask if he's single. You already know. Cause it's the Darren Show. A simple name for a simple guy with a simple face. It's the Darren Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Darren Show. I've got a great podcaster with me here. Um, I I recently caught up with Survivor New Zealand or New Zealand Survivor, whichever one it is, uh, and we've uh, I, I realized that we have some great coverage on the RHAP network for this show. So I wanted to get the person that I uh, heard on this coverage because uh, she's been doing a fantastic job on the podcast. So this week with me, I have Shannon Gates. How you doing, Shannon? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Taryn. Uh, I'm a bit nervous to not talk about Survivor and talk about myself. I feel like I'm a lot more experienced in talking about Survivor, especially the international versions. But I guess let's talk about me for, for a while instead. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I mean, uh, we, can start, we can start by talking about Survivor because I, I have been watching Survivor. Which is it? Survivor New Zealand or is it New Zealand Survivor? It- Survivor New Zealand Thailand. So it's all okay. <laughs> Survivor New Zealand Thailand. Perfect. Um, uh, I've Rolls been enjoying it. I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've thought it was. Uh, I've thought, I thought it's been pretty fun. It's been really good. It's been just like refreshing. I think that like it doesn't rely on the gimmicks of the US, and I don't want to trash the US show, and I, I still enjoy it. But the characters, we get a sense of of a lot of the strategic play style, and it's a twenty minutes longer each episode as well. So you get a lot of that. So I think it's been it's been really really fun, and I've been so privileged to be able to podcast about it for RHAP as well. Yeah, and you've been doing a great job. I mean, uh, b- between Nick Danza, you know, coming in and doing Australian Survivor coverage and doing such a great job, and then you 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 guys really just make it look easy. Thank you. Um, yeah, and we we're also um, Mike Bloom and I are jumping in for some semi regular Survivor South Africa Philippines content which is again just a mouthful um which has also been such a fun season so it's like the off season for survivor doesn't exist anymore if you guys are bored and missing survivor each week like there's so much content for there there for everyone to watch and check out and then listen to the podcast it's it's a really fun time yeah i've i've more survivor than i know what to do with between the two of those Um, it's so true like because i'm doing the podcast my family are watching all the different survivors like every time i walk into my parents room they're watching like a different version of survivor like at this point they're like please give us a break from all this tv (laughs) that we have to watch like i walked into their room the other night and for the first time they were watching some random drama and i felt betrayed i was like what are you doing like you're still an episode behind on survivor south africa like you can't be watching this those monsters um yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because like I've, i mean i also just recently had austin trupp on the podcast and i'm mm-hmm. supposed to i'm supposed to you know catch up with survivor maryland too uh yeah there's a lot out there lot. I, def- I definitely want to get to that myself but at the moment i'm kind of just way too <laughs> immersed in all the international versions but i'm gonna get there as well yeah. Well, so how how did you get into uh first of all like just listening to the podcast or I guess I guess we should really just go all the way back to how did you get into Survivor? Yes, um Survivor, my family, my parents have been watching since day 1 and my brother and I hopped in about Pearl Islands. We just missed Rob. Um I've talked about this a bit on the podcast, but the thing that really grabbed us was that Hagrid and Rupert were very similar. And we're big Harry Potter <laughs> fans. We were like passionate Rupert fans. Um, so we were watching ever since then. And, you know, I would have called myself like a hardcore casual, like I was watching the seasons and I was reading Dalton Ross's recaps, but I just didn't know that there was any other fandom out there. 
And then I think, you know, my brother found, my brother went back and started binging the seasons when he finished high school around, you know, end of 2012 after Survivor Philippines. And I kind of just follow everything he does. So I went back and started binging and then he found Rob, he found the podcast. And um, when he introduced it to me, I kind of never looked back because, you know, that was around when I started full-time work, when I like got into a long distance relationship and I just had all this time to, I'd never listened to podcasts before. So I just now had all this time to listen. So RHAP, I've been listening, I mean, I guess daily ever since then for over five years. And it's just become such a big part of my life, especially like my whole adult life, you know, my whole working life. It's just a part of my daily reality. So now to get to be on the podcast is crazy to me. It's something I never expected to happen, but it's definitely the culmination of years of just loving and being obsessed with both Survivor and RHAP in general. Well, how did you how did you get involved? Because I know that you uh, you had done some some uh, some musical contributions here mm-hmm. and there. Uh, is that is that was that like your first interaction in terms of uh, like going from listener to active contributor? Uh, no, it was like a bunch of little steps, I think, and that ended up in like one big moment of being asked to do the international coverage by Rob. I think the first instance of where Rob might have known where I was or who I was was that. I sent in a voicemail in, I guess, during Survivor Worlds Apart, um, where I, my brother and I had invented the Rupert Tweet game. Um, so uh. we sent in a voicemail that they should play the Rupert Tweet game, and then they played it for years. So that kind of became my thing. I was like, I'm the inventor of the Rupert Tweet game. I like put it in my bio, completely cut my brother out of this hole. <laughs> he always says, he's like, everything you've got from rap has come from the Rupert <laughs> Tweet game, and I've got nothing out of this. So I have to give him a little bit of a shout out. We are co-creators on that. Um, but then I guess I, I just, it was all these little moments, you know, I reached out to Rob during Australian Survivor season one and was going to do some stuff there and it never really panned out. But then I, um, I applied to be a game changer expert and ended up being the Debbie expert. And during this time as well, I became like a patron and became more involved in the community, but I got to podcast with Rob, which was insane to me. I think he called me. And the first thing I said was, I told myself I wasn't going to freak out, but I'm freaking out. And he was like, don't freak out. It's fine. But like, that was all first interaction and from there I ended up being a part of a small group um a really great group that we kind of create stuff for Rob and work with him on like a weekly basis during season 35 and 36 just like games and ideas and segments um so that was my relationship with Rob and then I guess my relationship with Nick because Rob and Nick are very much my two fairy godfathers in this whole dream that I'm currently living so with Nick um I kind of was his obsessive fan during Australian Survivor season one. I would tweet to him and about him all the time. I think in my mind, if you tweeted to someone or about someone 10 times, like they might see one or two of it. But now in hindsight, I kind of think that he, he you know, just saw all of it. <laughs> so I thank him for not getting a restraining order out against me. But he was always really kind and he followed me back on Twitter and I messaged with him a bit. And then when he was doing the coverage for Australian Survivor season two, um, I just thought now that RHAP is happening in my own home country, like how can I not be a part of it in some capacity? So I reached out to him to, you know, just offer him any help that he needed and ended up becoming his quote unquote intern. And we would work together every week on games and segments and ideas and stuff. And yeah, it just kind of became like his second in charge. And I'm so glad that I sent that initial message because I was really hesitant at first. And my mom was like, send it. Like, you have to be a part of this in some way. And I guess it all stemmed from there. So long story short, those are all the little moments um, leading up to the big moment, which was Rob asking me to do the international coverage. Basically, I, I reached out to Nick asking if he was going to do 
New Zealand for this season. Um, and he said he wasn't, but he was thinking of asking Rob if I could do it, which was so crazy to me that like, I didn't even give it a second thought afterwards. Cause I was just like, this will never happen. It's just way too insane. It, it's just too much, you know? Um, and then didn't think about it for a couple of weeks. Then one week before Survivor New Zealand was starting, Rob messaged me to ask me. Um, and I said, yes, immediately, despite all my doubts and like not even being able to comprehend that this was happening to me. And so I think just based on my relationship with both of them and having been a part of the community for a couple of years now, I don't know, they somehow offered it to me. and I'm somehow doing this and I'm still <laughs> haven't really had the time to catch up and really think about how, how crazy that is. Yeah, I, I remember that, like that hesitation. I, I, I had that same hesitation when, you know, Rob was looking for big brother people. And I was like, but no, that, that couldn't be me. Uh, yeah. But then it then it's well, you. Yeah. But the crazy thing is that I've, I didn't like it's not like I applied and got it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it wasn't even something that I thought I could I would have been able to apply for. Like if Rob had been like, apply for this. I don't know if I would have applied because I would have, I would have thought that's, I can't do that. You know, that's too much for me. And then it was just offered to me. So it was just, it was just insanity. And that was only like a couple of months ago at this point. And I don't know, it's been a roller coaster since then. <laughs> are you, are you hoping that you get uh, to do more? Like when, when Survivor New Zealand, what's the place? Survivor New Zealand, Thailand. Survivor yes, a New lot. Zealand, I have to Thailand. do this every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you are you uh, are you hoping to do like more more podcasts once that's over, or are you just kind of like uh, you're good? Well, I've got South Africa, which we're doing a bit of, but that's kind of in the same timeline. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm loving it. So definitely, if I get, I just got to be on the B and B talking about Survivor the US. Um, I'll do uh, hopefully some stuff with Nick for Australia, just here and there. So yeah, I think it would be it would be sad to go from podcasting now regularly and then go to absolutely nothing for the rest of the year. So I do hope I get to do some afterwards as well yeah just start watching big brother and can have you on the live feed updates yeah i think that's a that's a bridge too far for me <laughs> like, i, I want to do it but not that much <laughs> um so so tell so tell me more about yourself like uh wh where did you where did you grow up i was born in south africa as listeners of the survivor south africa philippines coverage might know um so it's funny for me now getting to cover it like it's really full circle um yeah i was born in johannesburg south africa and well, my family moved around a bit when I was a kid. We we moved like three different times in a two-year period randomly and then just never moved again. Um, we were in Johannesburg and then we went to um, Cape Town in South Africa for nine months. Then we went to Melbourne in Australia for seven months. And then we finally settled in Sydney, Australia, which is where I've been ever since. So wh why did you move around so much? Um, I guess it was just like a bunch of different reasons each time um we left johannesburg i guess my parents were worried it wasn't really safe enough for us um and that's i think a reason that quite a, quite a few people have moved a lot of my community in sydney and in australia are south african and a lot of people left for that reason so it was really hard for my parents as well to leave their parents and we had like a really big family especially on my dad's side we had family gatherings you know every week at least and we went from and then we you know we immigrated we moved to Cape Town first but that didn't really work out and then we went to Melbourne my dad ended up getting a job in Sydney so that's why we just kept jumping around but it ended up with us being in Sydney and at least for the beginning it was just the four of us um which was a really big departure from where we'd been with a whole big family in Johannesburg so your whole family is from uh, South Africa 
Yes, um, but on both sides. I'm like fifth generation South Africa, South African, I think, on at least some sides. Um, very South African family. So how, how long were you there? Like when did you move out uh, or start moving around? I was seven when we started. So I moved to um, Australia when I was eight. Wow. So, so what was that, what was that like to, uh, I mean, what was it like growing up in, in South Africa to begin with, but then also to, to move to, uh, to Australia? It, it was really different. Like it was, it was just, it, again, it was like a lot of family. And, um, while I'm still really close to my family, it, it now is just been the four of us for such a long time. I kind of see it as the four of us versus the world. And that's, you know, my parents and my little brother and me. Um, and South Africa, it's certainly very different from Australia. Um, it's got amazing culture. When I think of it, I think of like the amazing culture, the amazing food, but I just feel like Australia is the place I was meant to be. Like, I'm very happy that I'm here and I'm thankful to my parents for bringing me here. Obviously the people that I've met and having met my partner and I just, I love Australia. I love the culture here as well. And the football and there's, it's beautiful. The climate's amazing. Like, I just think, yeah, this is, this is where we were meant to end up, but it is, when I think back to South Africa, I definitely have that sense of family. And that was really, I think what defined a lot of my childhood. Yeah. I'm, well, actually the, uh, the, the most recent, uh, person I've interviewed for this podcast was, uh, was Godfrey Manguiza, who's from Big Brother Canada and he grew up in, uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, interesting that we got, we got another person who grew up in, uh, in Africa. Yes. Um, so, I uh, I mean, what, what was it, what was it like living the way you, you mentioned that it was, it was unsafe. Like, uh, like how unsafe was it? I guess I didn't have as big a sense of it when I was a kid. Um, because, you know, when you say growing up in South Africa, you know, I feel, see myself as having grown up in Australia because, mm. you know, I was here from when I was, had just turned eight years old. So when I have a sense of m- me growing up, it was mostly in Australia. So it's hard to remember. And so much of it was shielded from me, from my parents. I think one of the reasons we left Cape Town was because we kept getting robbed. And my mom has stories of, you know, taking my brother and I who were six and seven and just like being like, okay, it's bath time, like get in the bathroom because the police were coming. So I think a lot of that was hidden from me. Um, so I don't, didn't have a sense of it. You know, there were, it was just stuff in Australia that I don't think happened. And I feel very, very safe in Australia in a way that I just didn't feel in South Africa. And I don't know how much of that is me or how much of that has been just my thoughts about it and how much is real. But I I guess I didn't have a good enough sense of it as a kid um, to know what was real and what wasn't. But I definitely feel really safe and really free in Australia. And I feel like I can do things like drive around at night by myself or, you know, walk in the street at night as a woman at night and things like that, that I don't know if I would have been able to do in South Africa. So I do have that sense of freedom and safety here. I mean, a lot of my Australian film uh, knowledge is um, Wolf Creek. So I don't know how (laughs) safe Australia really is uh, given that movie. Yes, uh, it's not. It's, it's definitely not like that. Um, for me, like Australia, especially coming like leaving a place because of crime and because you think it's unsafe to go to Australia, it was like the safe haven. And mm. it's kind of always been that for me. And that's, that's how I see it. And that may or may not be true. Again, it might just completely be my perspective. But I just feel so safe here, especially knowing where I've come from. So uh, it's not like Wolf Creek, actually. <laughs> you should come visit. It's really nice here. I, w- I would love to. I mean, uh, I don't know about that plane ride, but, you know, 
It sounds like it would be a fun place. Um, so uh, was it was it difficult to get out of uh, Africa? Um, I, I mean, I don't know, like what the the political conditions were uh, where you grew up, as opposed to uh, where what Godfrey talked about in Zimbabwe. But he had a lot of trouble, like getting out of the country. Um, did you did you experience any of that, or were you too young to really understand? Um, I think I was a bit too young to understand, but I think it was fine getting out of South Africa. I think the problem was getting into Australia, which is one of the world's most regulated places. And whenever my parents really miss South Africa, they'll complain about how like rule focused Australia is with just like sometimes stupid rules. But I'm like, this is how the country works. Like, this is why we came here. So getting into Australia was tough. I think that it helped that my mom was a teacher. I think that they wanted that. Um, so that helped us get in. But yeah, getting into Australia, I think could would have been a bit tough. Um, but my parents made it work and we were able to come here. So what was it, what was it like to arrive in Australia? You mentioned that it felt, you know, safer and all of that, but, uh, having come from South Africa, uh, did you have trouble like acclimating to the culture of Australia? Um, in ways, but it is a really big South African community here. Um, so we did have that and we have like, we had, my mom had some friends here and we had family friends who were all South African and that she'd known from years back. So we did have that sense of South Africa still like it's crazy being here and in, in, in this community, there's like South African shops and South African food and everyone is South African to a degree. So it's kind of like moving, but in a very like simulated way where there's still this massive South African contingent. Um, so I don't think it was that tough and almost immediately, my family fell in love with Australian rules football. Um, I, I don't like any other sport, but I fell in love with the sport like within the first couple of months of coming. And that's the biggest part of Australian culture, especially in Melbourne where we were originally. So I think that really helped us, um, you know, get, get into that culture as well. And yeah, I didn't see it as that hard culturally. I think it was just moving around and around and like just finally making friends and everything being fine. And then it was like, oh, we're gone again. Yeah. Did did you have friends that you had to like leave behind that, you know, that was, it was hard? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I kind of had a group and a couple of best friends in every place that we went. And then we had this running joke where whenever my parents called my brother and I into their room to have a serious talk, it meant we were moving. I think they've <laughs> called me into their room to have a serious talk exactly three times. And it was, we're going to Cape Town, we're going to Melbourne, we're going to Sydney. And like every time I was devastated. And then my mom used to say, you know, you were devastated last time. And then now, you know, you're devastated to leave again. So you've made new friends and new homes and where you've come. But it was it was definitely really, really tough. And I'm lucky I'm so close with my family. My brother's always been my best friend. So I was lucky enough to move around with my best friend. But it was really tough. And I definitely found new reasons to cry for every place that we left. <laughs> did you did you have trouble like saying goodbye or like telling your friends that you were moving? Um, I don't, I definitely in Johannesburg where I'd had friends since I was two, like I had a best friend from, you know, the age of two to seven and that was my entire life. And we had pets that we had to leave in Johannesburg. That was really tough. And again, again, my family, my grandparents, like that was obviously the hardest one, but yeah, in Cape Town, it was like, uh, we just became friends. I literally came here this year, same with Melbourne and now we're leaving. It was, it was tough. Um, all the time that we left. Yeah, I, I remember. I mean, I, I obviously the scope of my my moving was not nearly the same, but uh, I, I didn't even like I remember uh, not telling my friends at all that I was moving and <laughs> that and then like one of the teachers came up to me during lunch and they were like, so today so today's your last day, I heard. And my friend was sitting there and he was like, excuse me. 
I was like, oh my god, I got caught. Like I didn't, I didn't even know what to what to say. Yeah, it, no, it, it's it's definitely awkward. It's definitely hard. And I mean, you, you, when you're seven or eight years old and you've been with someone for a year, like that's such a massive part of your life, you know. So to leave those friends was hard. I think it did get easier and easier. I remember when we were leaving Melbourne. At that point, I was just very much like, okay, like yeah. I get it now. It's happening. But then I we we'd be um kind of a half adopted the cat that lived next door. Um, and I like really, really loved this cat and I'd like given it its own name, even though it had a name. So I was like, I was fine to leave Melbourne. And then a couple of days later, I asked if we could take the cat and my parents were like, no. And then I was like very devastated again. <laughs> it's like enough with the moving. And yeah, it was tough. But then once we came to Sydney, when I was eight, we never left again. So yeah, we've been really settled here for years and years and years. It was just that weird two year period where we just <laughs> kept moving around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do, do you, you, so you grew up, uh, speaking English. Was that your main language? Yeah. Only spoke English. I started learning Afrikaans in South Africa for years one and two when I was there, but, um, never got through the basics because I left. So that's all, all I got is like really basic Afrikaans words. And my, I used to listen to my parents as well. They would say, um, things like don't talk in front of the children in Afrikaans. So those were the, the phrases that I got a hang of. <laughs> how does that how does that work in in South Africa? Like do people just mostly speak English? Um there are it's a very multilingual society and I talked about this a bit on the Survivor South Africa podcast about how I thought that might come into play. There are there are a ton of African languages. There's Afrikaans, there's English. I I've speak to everyone in English there, so I assume that's a pretty prominent language. But yeah, there's 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 so many languages. My mom is a massive linguist. She's she's learned um, quite a few that she, that's just something that she loves. I never really got the hang of it. Um, I was, I learned Hebrew for 12 years at school and I'm still not good at it. Um, yeah, Afrikaans never really got the hang of it, but I kind of wish that I did now, but yeah, I just speak English. Uh, so you must have like a, a unique accent then, right? I mean, I think so. Like, <laughs> I feel like I have a really odd accent and it's kind of funny to me that people from other countries that are listening to my podcast coverage think this is what Australians sound like. Because <laughs> it's just absolutely not. One of the commenters said they liked whatever accent I speak with, which was like my favorite comment I've gotten from podcasting because it's very true. It's actually like one of the reasons I was so scared about podcasting was because I'm insecure about this weird accent I have, which I don't even know what it is. I think it's like the South African thing and then Australia and then obviously listening to so many American podcasts. People often think that I have a little bit of an American thing. I think that's just from like my pop cultural consumption. So I was like worried that it's just an odd accent, but now I think I'm learning to embrace it and just the fact that it's um, unique, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, having a unique accent, I think is uh, is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you, uh, you end up in Australia. Uh, tell, tell me more about, uh, Australia and, and growing up in Australia, uh, you know, as an eight year old or 10 year old or however old you were, uh, when you finally settled in, um, like, do you, was there anything unique to Australia that you felt like was really valuable? Yes. Well, again, the, the football was a big thing. It's a massive part of my life. So that's something that's very unique to Australia. And, and I love that. And definitely the sporting culture for my dad, who is a tennis coach. Um, so that's his profession. So there's just a massive sporting culture here. And, and that's been great for my dad and my brother as well. But it's just, it's just beautiful here. Um, the climate is amazing. I've, I've never seen snow. Um, it, it's like chilly at the moment. I'm like freezing and it's like 15 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but 
it's not very cold. Um, and and living here, I think at first was hard for me because I think I struggled to find my footing in Sydney the most of all the places I had been at first. Um, I kind of felt like it was unfair, like a couple of years into being in Sydney. I was like, I made friends a lot easier in Cape Town and Melbourne and now I'm here. Um, and I, I don't know, I just, I think in the first couple of years, I didn't fit in as well. But then when I got to like 10, 11 and got into middle school, I found a really good group of friends who um, largely are still my best friends now. So I've definitely found my people around middle school and high school, but the first few years was a bit tough. But yeah, I'm so glad that we ended up coming here and I, I've loved living in Australia. Awesome. Uh, so when was it again that you found Survivor at this point? Like, um, how old were you? Um, I found Survivor when I was about 10. Well, yeah, I, I remember like the big moments watching with my with my parents. Like I remember scooping, scooping, falling into the fire, mm. things like that, that I was like coming to their room and be like, what is happening? But it was definitely around Pearl Islands when I was 10 that I never stopped watching from then. Um, so that as well was like a big part of my life, like pop culture is and always has been such a huge part of who I am. So like no matter what was happening socially, no matter where we were moving, there was always like even like things that I still love now. Like I just have not changed since I was eight. Like Survivor, Harry Potter, The Simpsons, like I still love pop culture and like all those pop cultural things as much as I did then. So that definitely helped as well with the moving and settling into new places. Was it difficult to find that stuff, uh, you know, uh, you know, being in Australia? Well, the Simpsons was on every night in in Australia. It actually wasn't on in South Africa. So we discovered that when we got to Melbourne. That was probably one of my favorite things as well about Australia when we got here. I was like <laughs> watching every episode of The Simpsons and catching up to all these Australian kids who had had it for so many years. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think that we were maybe a little bit more inhibited than I realized in the Americans in getting these things. Like what, so Survivor changed channels for one season for I think it was Survivor Gabon. I just didn't watch that season until I later went back and binged because we were just like, I guess that's that's off the air now. Like, <laughs> I guess Survivor is done, and then no like ended Survivor. up seeing yeah, and then we ended up like seeing token chains, and especially when the ads came back for Russell Hans, we were like, oh, the show is still on. Like we just completely thought that that disappeared, and it all just like accepted it. So it might have been a bit hard in Australia, but the thing is, I've never lived in America, so for me, like I don't know how easy it must be for you guys. Like I was talking to a patron from Europe. Um, the other day about like how, you know, maybe people in America have never learned that they need like how to stream and how to get these links on the DL because they've never had to. Whereas for us, it's just like the name of the game. Like if you can't stream or if you can't find links, like you sometimes don't watch. So you really have to learn fast. Well, yeah. And I imagine that uh, most of the other people that you know that watch the show at all are probably a lot more dedicated than your average uh, like American fan because they have to go the extra mile to find it. Yeah, I mean, like, they have been good about it now. Like, Survivor airs now about 10 hours after the US, but that's still not fast enough for me, so I still have to find it. But, yeah, most things now we get, like, on the day. But it's so frustrating. The worst thing about being in Australia, one of the only bad things about being in Australia is, like, when it hits 10 a.m. on a Thursday, which is when Survivor's on in the US, and I have to, like, go dark at work, can't go on any social media, like, I'll get spoiled and then uh then just being there on a Thursday knowing everyone's watched it is is the worst part about living in Australia. <laughs> it's so it's so strange to think of like you know you're oper- like you're operating on a time that's that's uh, you know 14 hours away uh behind you um and you have to like uh, okay like wake up in the morning and watch the show at what 10 a.m. Well, I'm at work at 10 a.m., so I can't watch it all day. Like, I come home at 6 and watch it then. 
Um, it's just, it's really painful. And like, it's true. I, I honestly feel like I've got such a good sense of all the time zones in so many places because with, like, I have to be thinking about where, where my grandparents are in South Africa and then where, what, what's happening with Survivor in America? Like, it's actually crazy. And I think it might be one of the reasons I'm an insomniac. Like a lot of people are online and talking about the show in what is like my really late at night. So I end up like staying up really late because that's when everything is going on. Like, it's very unfair, but yeah, the time zone thing is tricky. And especially now I have to think about when my guests are like, for example, I'm podcasting with Tess from Australian Survivor next week and she's in England. So I have to think about her time as well. Like I actually have a headache. I think I need like five clocks on my wall that have all the time zones and that might be able to get me through my Survivor coverage at the moment. I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, uh, it was, it was difficult enough trying to schedule just one person that was 14 hours <laughs> yeah. away from me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it also just feels like so weird when, uh, like, I mean, I, I mentioned this to you when we started, but I, I messaged you. I was like, so we are, are we still all set for tonight? And, uh, and then I realized, oh, this is not, this is tomorrow morning for her. This is, this is not nighttime. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I I get to podcast with a lot of Americans, which has been amazing. Like, last week I podcasted for the B&B with Mike Bloom and Liana Boris, and it was like 9 a.m. for them, so it was 11 p.m. for me. So the podcast went to like 2 in the morning. <laughs> but like, well, that, that's, that's a good time for me. Like, that's where I'm like at my most alert. But it's pretty hard to explain to people why I can't, why I'm doing something till 2 a.m. on like Sunday morning for podcasting. But, you know, it is what it is, and it's just about, I guess, being adaptable and being awake at all hours. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I've, I've been, I've been on this, like, uh, this kick ever since I listened to this interview, uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast about how important sleep is that like, uh, yeah, you gotta get your sleep. It's important. Uh, yeah. No, I think after Rob asked me to do the survivor coverage, like that was, I, I, I honestly worried I'd never sleep again. Firstly, <laughs> I was so, I had so much to do cause it was a week before the season started we had to do a pre-season podcast i binged all of survivor season um new zealand season one again just to like refresh my memory i don't like i don't know why i did that um and then i had to get all the technology so i was really busy but also i was just so amped up like i was waking up in the middle of the night because i just was like could not sleep and was checking my phone and was doing a million things and i i think it's gotten better now but for at least two or three weeks i was very worried that that was just the end of sleep for me forever (laughs) Yeah. At least until the end of the season. Yeah, especially, especially once you you know you, you're podcasting and then you know you're you're thinking about the what like what you're going to say on the podcast yes. and you got all this excitement and then you and then you're getting feedback and like when it's good feedback you're like you're feeling good and when it's bad feedback you're like oh this is with all the reasons why I should be arguing with this person. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Well. Yeah. It, it yeah. wreaks havoc. Yes. Well, especially with the feedback, like. I would be up to check the feedback. I don't know what this says about me, but I'd be up to obsessively check the feedback multiple times a night. Um, terrible habit. And then, so I'm in a long distance relationship with my boyfriend. So when I was in Sydney alone, that was okay. Um, but then I went to Melbourne and I was with him and it would be like two in the morning and I'd be like reaching over him to get my phone. And he was like, what are you doing? Stop. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't, like, I can't not do this right now. <laughs> I'm just like on my phone at 3am. Like he was completely judging me, but like, I couldn't not do it, especially in those first couple of weeks. I've gotten better. I've gotten a lot better, but I could not get, stay away from my phone in the middle of the night then. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially like, uh, at least, uh, at least in my time zone, most people aren't 
commenting late at night. So there's no reason for me to be yes. up at night, to, like looking at things. I should, I, I like can sleep really peacefully when I get home from work and like all of America's asleep. And that's like the perfect time for me. Like I'll have a really good nap. But then like when it gets to 2am and everyone's online, like too much is happening out there for me to sleep. <laughs> so we'll see, I have to, I have to be like, I'm, I'm, I don't allow myself on social media most of the time, like after a certain, uh, like after, you know, 11 PM or something, depending on the night. Uh, but you have stronger willpower than me. Well, but, but, but like, but you know, it's, it's a lot easier for me. Like that's when everyone is online for you. Yeah. 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 I, I could, I could easily take, like take my phone away from like, you know, four to eight at night. That's fine. But the rest of the time, I need my phone. Let me pop in real quick to let you know that today's episode of The Terran Show is brought to you by RX Bars. Whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. RX Bars come in 11 delicious flavor varieties. They're gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no added sugar, no artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, fillers. They've got egg whites there for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture. It's just wonderful, natural protein bar goodness. RX bars continue to be just really great for me in terms of pre-workout, post-workout snack kind of thing. It's it's really helped me a lot, and uh, I'm very appreciative of their sponsorship here. Um, very happy to still have them on board. I, I mean, I, I'm reading these flavors right now, and I'm genuinely getting hungry. It's not good. Um, I, I may need to go work out or something. <laughs> Uh, but seriously, you should, you should check these out. Uh, I'm telling you, I mean, I love peanut butter. I know a lot of people love peanut butter. You should get the peanut butter bar. Just, just do it. Just try these out. And and here's how you do it. If you want to do so, you can go to rxbar.com slash Taryn and enter the promo code Taryn, uh, and you will get 25% off your first order of RX bars seriously do this uh not only is it cool to enter Taryn as your promo code but you'll get to order these rx bars for 25 percent off of that first order and you'll get to try what i'm talking about if you listened to the mike vacanti podcast where he talked about you know just just doing a little thing to get started just little bits of mindfulness then uh let this be the reminder try out the rx bars uh, make uh, make a choice to get these tasty, healthy snacks and uh, see where it goes from there. All right. And with that, let's get back to my interview with Shannon Gates. Uh, so you mentioned that you were in a long distance relationship. When did that start? Uh, yeah, my boyfriend lives in Melbourne, ironically, um, back to Melbourne. Uh, we've been together for over five years. So we've been doing the long distance thing. It's about an hour and a half flight now yeah for over five years so you met him in college uh no i I went to uni like it's very it's a very different situation as soon as i said it i was like oh i don't know what they do over there (laughs) yeah um no yeah it's crazy like the culture in america is very much like when you're 18 you leave you go to college and i i don't know how i ever would have done that i went to university 20 minutes from my family home and so did he 20 minutes from his family home in melbourne um so yeah it's very much not like that but we uh we actually we kept meeting over and over which would be a lot more like cosmic and predestined if the australian jewish community wasn't so insular i think it was more a product of that um but actually when i lived in melbourne for seven months um in year three the third grade as you guys might say 
um, he was in my class. So we have like really adorable childhood photos of us. And like, he wrote me a letter when I left that was like, I'll miss you when you move to Sydney forever, uh-huh. um, which I still have. I didn't remember him at all, though, when I met him <laughs> later. Did, but he remembered you? No, neither of us remembered each other. Our mothers remembered each other. That's what it was. Uh-huh. Um, but we met um, when I was about 15 or 16. We kept meeting again at summer camp, um, which was like a federal summer camp that all the different states would go to. And um, we didn't, it didn't start off very well. He thought that I hated him because... <laughs> I have really bad eyesight and I wasn't wearing contact lenses at that time. So I would just death stare a lot of people and I kept death staring him, I guess. Um, So he thought I hated him for like one or two full years. Uh, But then eventually we actually met and actually started hanging out. um, And he realized I I didn't hate him. I just didn't know him and um, needed to get contact lenses ASAP. So um, we were friends for several years. We kept connecting, even though we were in different states, just based on he really loves football as well. Again, football, big connecting factor. Um, so we were always really good friends. We were both in long-term relationships though, and then got um, badly dumped, both of us, <laughs> within uh-huh. a few months of each other. And we're just very much there for each other. And he's like the kindest, best person. So he was so there for me through that. And I don't even think that I realized I was falling for him. I think a lot of people realized before I did. Um, my mom used to say after that breakup that she realized the only thing that would make me smile was when I would speak to him. Um, but I didn't even know. And then I guess we both worked it out eventually and we've been together ever since. Oh, so, uh, so you, but you ended up uh, moving away. No. So we are, we're still long distance. Um, we've always been Melbourne, Sydney, long distance, but I am moving to Melbourne next month or in a couple of months to be with him. Um, he's been in uni. He had like the longest university course ever. So we could never really be in the same place um, aside from traveling down and up every weekend. Um, but he, he's finished uni now and he got a really great job in, in Melbourne. I'm very proud of him. So he, yeah, he started that. So now I'm moving back to Melbourne in a couple of months, which is just a crazy full circle thing. Like another, another time to move for me. Okay. So, so you, he had, you'd always been in separate cities. Yes, you just happened always to been in separate cities. We were just always friends. And then for some reason embarked on a long-term long-distance relationship. No, the reason was that we're, we're really good together, but it is insanity. It's pure insanity. So so it's been five years in a long-distance relationship? Yes, over five years. Wow. So uh, yeah. how have you managed that? Uh, with difficulty, with extreme <laughs> difficulty. No, we're actually, I think we're quite good at long-distance. Like, we've got our routine down. We take the same flights. We've got the budget airlines. Like, we spend so much time on the phone booking flights with these budget airlines. Um, it's been it's been really, really tough. It's been very frustrating, and I would always be upset about it. And then my mom would say, you know, you're, you're committing to being with him some of the time and having him in your life rather than not having him at all, which just for me was just – not an option um you know peter which is his name is peter um is just uh i guess the best person that i know um so i definitely wasn't letting go even though it was it was really really tough but um i would you know if someone was in the same situation like if i were to go back and speak to me five years ago i wouldn't say give it up i would say it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do but completely worth it and i'd do it again a hundred times what was the hardest part of it I guess just not having that person there. Like, I don't even remember what it's like to be able, you know, I don't even know what it's like to be like, I just want to go hang out with you. Like, I'm just going to go hang out with you tonight. Like I have to get on a plane to do that. And it's tough. And sometimes you miss the big events. We're very lucky that it is quite close. Like we've pretty much been there for almost all the big events, but it, it you know, just not having that person there immediately is, is, is really, really tough. Plus it's expensive. It's exhausting. Like sometimes you don't want to get on a plane after a really 
tough week of work. So I'm definitely really excited to not being long distance with him. I'm scared to move, obviously. And after moving around so much as a kid, I would have been happy to never move again. Um, Definitely would have been something I would have been fine to do. I think some of my friends, if you were to say, you have to live in Sydney forever, that might scare them. For me, doesn't scare me at all. Would have been totally happy with that. But, you know, um, moving to Melbourne now is, is, I guess, what my future is. And I'm excited about ending the long distance and being with him all the time. Were, so were there any moments where you felt like, uh, like this is, this is too much? Like, I don't know if I can do this. I honestly don't think so. No, because I, the, the alternative was losing him completely. And that was, it was just, that was way worse. Um, so as hard as it was, I don't think I ever had a moment like I can't do this. I, and I knew it was going to be long-term as well. Like I didn't see a short-term solution for us with him being in uni. He was a seven year uni course and I met him two years into it. So again, complete stupidity on both of our behalfs, but also we'd been friends for so long. So when we started, we just knew each other and it just worked so perfectly from the beginning that there was just no other option for me. Do you, did you like come up with like ground rules or like, uh, like, like what were, what were the little like things that you would do, uh, to, to make it work? Um, we, we see each other a lot. I'm like, a, I'm very good at planning. So <laughs> I'd have like the next three months of our trips planned out, like 12 trips planned out between us. And at least we had that to look forward to in terms of ground rules. I think the thing that's always made it really work is that I trust Peter so much, like 100,000%. Um, so I would never be scared about anything happening like that. Um, and he, he, you know, we just, we talk all the time. Obviously it's really easy with social media as well. And now he has hours of podcasts to listen to me as well. Like he just constantly has my voice in his ears, but I think that it was just about speaking every day, obviously, um, which wasn't difficult seeing each other almost every week if we could. And just, I think the thing was that both of us have always been very, very willing to put in the effort and sacri- you know, making sacrifices where it's like, oh, it's a really good friend's birthday and I don't want to miss that. But also like, I have to go to Melbourne for this reason. And we've both had to sacrifice quite a bit and we've both been willing to do that. So it's just about being willing to put in that effort. I've always seen that from him and I've always known on my behalf that I'm willing to do it. So that was really all I needed in the relationship. Did you ever meet any like external resistance in terms of like, uh, like any friends or family that were like, well, why, why are you doing this? Like, well, why are you sacrificing these things? Yeah, I guess sometimes like some people might not understand. It's like, but we need you in Sydney for this. It's like, yes, but I'm in a long distance relationship. So I kind of have to leave. Like that has to be my number one priority in terms of resistance from the relationship though I don't really think I ever met it um, because Peter was friends with a lot of my friends they all liked him and my family has always loved him he's best friends with my brother like I think that they would be heartbroken if we were to end things so they would would you know my parents are sad for me to move away as well and that's scary but you know Peter's a, a part of our family as well now and yeah I think that the resistance would have been like oh, I'm, I need to break up with Peter because it's too hard. Like, I think my brother might have disowned me and maybe my parents as well. So definitely no resistance there. Well, that's, that, that's good because I feel like, uh, you know, it, it's um, I feel like long distance relationships, people are often very like judgmental and they're very like skeptical about uh, like uh, the, the possible outcomes, especially if you have to like yeah. sacrifice and you're spending money and you're spending all this time. Um, and like I, I can I can imagine all of the people. Oh, you're so young. Why are you doing this? Um, yeah. But, yeah uh, but you know what? Yeah. I've just come out of a breakup when I. Um, got together with Peter, which I think that that was a lot of resistance. It was like, you're not ready for this. And, and on that, 
maybe that was correct, but that was just when I happened to fall for Peter. But I came out of this like terrible high school relationship that everyone resisted that. They were like, this is terrible. You should get out of that. So I think once I went from that to this really perfect thing with this really incredible person in Peter, it was like, you know what? He just lives in Melbourne. That's fine. Like we can <laughs> deal with that because that's not as bad as, as the decisions you've made before. So I think everyone was really on board. That's my That's my advice for anyone who wants people to accept their long distance relationship, just get in a worse relationship before, have everyone reject that and then get into a long distance relationship and they'll accept that straight away. Perfect. That's how, that's how to work it. Um, yeah, because yeah, it can, it can be hard. Uh, it can be hard when there's, you know, external forces that are, you know, n- negatively reinforcing this, this idea, but, um, that's why it's important to surround yourself with, uh, with good people, I think. Um, yeah everyone's been really supportive and my parents as i said watching all the survivors my family are the most supportive people in the world almost too too supportive if you're listening to this guys it's okay to turn off survivor just for tonight like that that's totally fine but um yeah they've always been really supportive and i guess that the, the hardest thing for them to support is now because now i'm moving and i've always been so close to my family and, and but that will be the hardest part and they continue to be extremely supportive um so i'm very grateful for that so are you are you nervous at all about how, you know, finally being close to him is going to change things after being, you know, w- working a certain way for so long? I'm definitely no, I'm not nervous about being near him. We've we've spent time like when he was on uni breaks, he'd come here for like he'd do internships here for example and be here for months at a time. So I'm not worried at all about being closer to him. I'm worried about leaving a lot in Sydney. That's my main fear. Um leaving my family, leaving my cat you know, I can't, I can't Skype with the cat. She can't call me. Um, that really worries me. Um, so that, that to me is the scariest part. I'm, I'm the, the, my one consolation. Well, I have a few consolations. I have family in Melbourne and, and I've got good support there as well. But my, my biggest consolation is that I'll be able to be with Peter full time. And I know that I'll always be at least somewhat comfortable and at least it will somewhat feel like home to have him there. That's, that's very nice. Um, <laughs> <Between> <laughs> Now there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so what do you what do you do for work? I am I'm a journalist. Um, I, I'm a the online and deputy editor for a magazine here. That's a hair and beauty magazine. So I know more about hair and beauty than one should be able to. Certainly than I ever thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> was was that something that you uh, like you went to school for that you were interested always interested in? Uh, I went to school originally. I did my bachelor's degree in music. Um, what I'd always wanted to do was music. Uh, that was when I came out of high school. I couldn't picture myself doing anything except music. And I did two years of a music degree, which kind of sapped my love of the industry, not of music, which I still absolutely love. But it kind of took away. I kind of got that dream out of my system of being a musician. So, And then I found a postgrad degree in media. Um, and loved it. I loved writing. I, I studied broadcast media as well, which I guess helped me for the podcast in ways I, I didn't think I would ever pursue. Um, I've always loved English. I've always loved writing. So it wasn't about writing about hair and beauty. I kind of just fell into that. But I did always want to be um, a writer and a journalist from doing that degree and was able to get a job in it, which was very lucky. What What was it that sapped your uh, desire to want to do music? Um. I love singing. I love playing and I love songwriting. So I love the actual creation of music. And, but I, I think I just didn't enjoy trying to make it a career. I didn't enjoy gigging, which I did a lot of when I was doing my degree. I didn't enjoy parts of the industry. Like I just didn't, I thought like I was kind of ruining it for myself by making it a career. Like it kind of, 
I don't know. I guess it's like if a super fan goes on Survivor and it just they see the other side of it, maybe mm-hmm. it would like destroy their love for it. And I was like, I love music too much to have it, you know, and I was like enjoying it less and less the more that I that I went on that path. So I kind of just got away from it and was able to just reconnect and actually enjoying music. But it is sad because I don't really get to sing that much anymore or write that much anymore. I mean, I could, but I just don't end up having the time to do it. So I, I really do miss it in that respect. That's why I'm actually happy for things like it sounds stupid, but like the wand off, mm. like that gave me a chance to actually sing and be creative with music that I hadn't had in a while. And I was like actually really loving it on that level. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can, I can relate to that. Like, um, I, I, I don't know how, like if I ever seriously considered doing music as a career, but, uh, it was something that I thought about for sure. And, um, I, it's something that I definitely, miss a lot in in my life like uh, i've i've considered like uh like joining some kind of like acapella group or choir or something just to like get it back in my life uh but then i realize i already have no time and (laughs) then i don't yeah i feel like i also have those ideas but then you're like i just never will do that like i should join like i should do you know go back and do musical instrument lessons again or like you're just never gonna end up doing it and then yeah. I'll just be like, just just sit down with the guitar for an hour this weekend and play a little bit. But then again, the last few months have definitely been too busy. But that makes me so happy. And like, even though no one hears it, like I'll record little songs and send them to Peter. And that's pretty much like the extent of me playing. But like, that makes me so happy. And like, now that I'm saying it, I'm like, I'm going to do it more. <laughs> I'm committing to doing it more right now. Yes. Uh, so, um, so you went to uh, university for uh, for uh, you had you took this media degree. Yes, it was a master's of media. Master's. Yes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so what did you do out of college or out of university? Well, I interned for the magazine that I currently work for during university, and then when I. When I finished, there happened to be someone who left and they offered me that job. It's kind of funny because it's very similar to RHAP where I was like kind of interning and then this thing that was way above me opened up and I got like pushed into the situation and thrown <laughs> completely into the deep end. And I, it was like, again, way above me. It was the kind of thing that I the job came out and I didn't apply for it, much like RHAP where I don't know if I would have applied for it because I was like, this is way too good for me. Like I cannot do this. And then they offered it to me. So they were like, you should apply for this. And um, I happened to get that job out of uni, which was four years ago. And I've been there ever since and will now be doing a lot of that in Melbourne as well. Awesome. So you're, so you're able to keep that kind of job with your, with your move? Yes. I mean, they'll be coming back to Sydney quite a bit as well. But um, yeah, I will be able to do that, which is really great. Very cool. So I, I know that you have also had your own sort of foray into reality television. Uh, well, what more can you tell me about that? Yes, I had a very, very, very brief stint on reality television. I was on Australia's Next Top Model when I came out of high school for two short weeks. Um, not very long, but, you know, like longer than like Rob was on Survivor All Stars. So that's what <laughs> I think about when I, when I think about that. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I was a complete recruit, um, basically just approached by a modeling agency in a sushi restaurant. I'd never had any interest in modeling. I'd never even been allowed to model by my dad, um, even if I had wanted to. And they came up to me and they kind of offered me a contract, but they were affiliated with Australia's Next Top Model. Like they were the prize that you got if you won. So they said that I should go on the show and then I could maybe like get more exposure and have the experience and then could come back for the contract, which I just finished high school and I definitely wanted some excitement in my life. So I was like, why not? And I embarked on this 
bizarre two-week journey on Australia's Next Top Model. Definitely one of the more unique experiences of my life. I, I, I mean, yeah, that sounds that sounds crazy. Uh, w- I mean, what what is it like to be? Uh, you you said you just graduated high school, or you're still in high school? I had finished high school, so we finished here. Like, it's a different structure than you guys have. I finished in December, and I was approached in January. And um, the audition process was the next couple of months. Like, we went. I still had to audition and all of that, but I kind of had what I thought was what was basically assurance from the modeling agency that I would do somewhat well. Otherwise I never would have put myself up for so much public humiliation. Um, So, but I had that, like that assuring me that I would do okay. But we went to this mall, which was the first audition and like hundreds of people are watching and you line up all day. And then you go up to the judges and if they like you, they'll, they'll send you to the right. And if they don't like you, you get rejected and go to like the rejection pile on the left of the stage in front of everyone. Like it was horrible. Um, I couldn't, I was so nervous, like only because I had this assurance from the modeling agency, but just in case I would get sent to the rejection pile on the left, I was absolutely terrified. So there was that whole process. And then the recording started in May. So what had happened was the year before the host had announced the wrong winner. She'd announced the second place person as first. (sighs) Wow, it was that, kind of like Steve Harvey often, before yeah. Steve Harvey. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I think that the show really wanted to like start with a bang to try and like erase that from people's memories. So what they did was they started with this top 100 um, and it was this like three-day top model boot camp where they cut 80 people in three days. Um, it was so brutal. Like the first day, we like we got there and then it was like a whole setup. But the first day of actual filming, we all had to be in our bikinis doing this runway walk and like I don't like being my in my bikinis at the beach let alone like in winter in this massive studio on tv I don't know why I was doing this I still still baffles me but I mean like I don't regret it but like it is baffling um and then they cut 50 people on that first day and at that point it had been like an 18 hour day it was probably like the early hours of the morning and they cut us they cut people not me but they cut 50 people in their bikinis and sent them outside in the rain in what must have been like 2 a.m I was like this is the worst possible fate that can happen to anyone. I'm so glad I survived just that one day because that always like has haunted me, that image of people just walking outside. And like, I never saw them again. Like one of them was my roommate on the first night and she was just gone. Like it was painful. And then, yeah, they cut 80 people till the third day with boot camp, And then I made it to the top 20 all in this first episode. And then they told us we were all going to Paris for the second week. Um, so that was just like the first three days of this experience. It was it was absolutely nuts. So what kind of what kind of things were you doing that were that were getting you? I mean, I, unfortunately, I have never uh, watched an, any version of the show, so I'm not sure That's like fine. what kind of uh, what kind of challenges there are. Or, um, I don't know what what is it. So the, so the first day was the bikini walk. The second day we had like a photo shoot. Um, the third day was we participated in fashion week. We did a catwalk for Alex Perry, who was one of the judges. Um, so that was the first boot camp, And then we went to Paris. And so basically the way the show works is that you have like a challenge and then you have a photo shoot um, on like the regular weeks of the show. So that was week two that we did the Paris week. And the, yeah, so we had this, ta- this shopping challenge, which went really poorly for me. <laughs> not a good moment for me. I was not good at shopping apparently. Like I think I actually am really good at shopping, but I didn't do very well on that day. And then we how, had how do you this- how do you do poorly at shopping? Um, you buy a terrible outfit that your group we were in groups. My group made me wear this horrible outfit and I look terrible. My mom still makes fun of <laughs> she's like, I'm sorry, but it was just so bad. And then also 
Okay, so one of the things was that I was one of the shortest of the girls. Like, I've always been tall, but I'm not model tall, I discovered on the show. And we were in a group, so it was all about our group looking the best. There were five of us. I think we were, yeah, in four groups of five. So it ended up like I had to give my heels to someone else, and then I was wearing flats, so I just looked so much shorter than everyone else. I feel like that was like the death knell in me going home that week. Um, just a vision of me in that in that horrible jumpsuit. It's just painful to me right now. No one go and look this up. Um, so that was terrible. And also I was just having like such a hard time on the show emotionally. That was like my absolute breaking point, which sounds so ridiculous because it was a shopping challenge. And all I did was look terrible in this, in this terrible, terrible jumpsuit. And for some reason, our group decided we should like be really natural and take off all our makeup. Horrible decisions, <laughs> horrible decisions. <laughs> Don't take off your makeup on a modeling show. Like they, you think they want you to do that, but they absolutely do not. So it was just a really tough experience and that was the worst part. <laughs> I mean, that sounds crazy. So, uh, so you, you ended up getting eliminated that, that week. Um, like yes. what, what was the process of getting eliminated? So we had a, we had a photo shoot, which I actually thought was really fun, but then we went back to Australia and they cut four people from the top 20 and then the top 16, like entered the house for, you know, living in the house for the next three months. Um, but it it was hard because a lot of the girls, I mean, like, obviously I'm not good at modeling. I was way shorter than everyone. I didn't even really know why I was there. Like the whole time I was just like, I don't understand why I'm even in the top 20. Surely I'm going to get eliminated. And then I proved that correct to myself, but there was just so much self-doubt that came into it. And a lot of the girls had had a lot of modeling experience. This was their absolute dream. They were professional models in some cases, and I'd never modeled ever. I I didn't really even want to model. <laughs> like I think while I was there, I kind of convinced myself. I'm like, I do really want this, but I think that's just because I'm super competitive and I put tons of pressure on myself. But like, I'm like, this is not something I've ever wanted. And I was now just in this really competitive environment. I couldn't speak to my family ever. Like, I did not fit in at all socially with the other girls. Like I was definitely the loser of the models. Um, yeah. So it was, it was rough going the whole time. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's such a, a strange thing to just like have happen to you. Yeah, it was. And like high school was, was very clicky and I certainly wasn't in the popular group, but there was no bullying. It was, it was all fine. Like everyone was nice to each other. I had definitely had all my really good friends. And then when I got to top model, I was, I was the loser. Like I was such a loser and <laughs> the other girls did not like me for the most part. And I was just having this like really condensed two week, horrible mean girls, high school experience, but on reality television and in this environment where they're your roommates and you can't talk to your family or friends. And it was, it was just bizarre. So what, like, do you have any, any examples for, uh, of that? Like, like what, what was happening? Um, they just, there was like a popular group of girls, uh, that didn't like me at all. Um, I, I could tell, you know, I, and I was roommates with a couple of them and they would, you know, like just lock me out of my room and make fun of me and be mean to me. Like uh, they just didn't like me. And I did have a few girls who were also like in the unpopular group with me who were really nice and, and stood up for me a bit. Um, so they were really sweet, but for the most part, yeah, it was just, uh, it, they, they just did not like me. And I remember cause we were in rooms in alphabetical order, um, so the girls, some of the girls who hated me the most were in my room just by virtue of being near my name. And then the last couple of days when we came back from Paris, um, they told us that we could decide our own rooms. And I, I think that was my favorite moment on the show, which sounds crazy to say, cause we just come back from Paris, but to find out that I could room with the, the girls who were nice to me and not with the girls who were mean to me, but their names started near mine was, was just like such a relief. And I think I just needed like a break from 
the horrible high school situation that I'd put myself in. So were you were you worried at all about like like this is going to be on TV and and you know people are going to see me and all, like all of my friends are going to see this like what what were you thinking in those terms? At the time I don't think I thought about it that much as a TV product, but coming back and watching it and it being on TV was yeah, I, I keep saying this. I was like, it was almost the worst part. I, I've said that now about every aspect of it, but I, I wasn't in the rap universe then. So I didn't know that this level of reality TV scrutiny existed and it does exist for top models. So basically there were all these forums um, that were dedicated to judging us when the cast was announced, a cast of 100 people. And as you can tell from my obsessive phone checking about my podcast feedback, I'm the kind of person where <laughs> I would obsessively check the forums as well. And the forums, they found like all the other girls' professional photo shoots. These girls were like really good models. And then they found these photos that I guess I had on public on Facebook, which my dad took of me when I was 14. Definitely not professional photos, definitely not even good photos, but I guess they just thought they were terrible professional photos and would compare them to the other girls' amazing shots. So the forums really didn't like me. And I one, one person really liked me. I had like one fan on the forums. I was really appreciative of that person. But yeah, the rest really didn't like me. And I would just check it so obsessively through the pregame, through the whole thing, and then watching it on TV. The first episode was okay because I got through and like the whole community was really pumped up that I'd made it through the cull of 80 people. Um, to get to the top 20. And so that one week was really fun. But I also knew that I was going to get out in the next week and it would all come crashing down. So yeah, watching it back was really tough. And and how old were you when you when you did this? 18. And yeah. and people were looking Just at photos 18. of you at 14? Like, yeah, I know. And it was so bad. I wasn't wearing makeup. And like, it was just, they were just terrible photos. I don't know how anyone even thought that they were professional, but they were very much like, these are horrible professional photos. I'm like, yeah, because they're, they're not professional photos. They're just photos of me as like a teenager. It, it was, it was, it was very, very bad. And like, they were so harsh and they're being harsh about your looks as well. Like when I was on the show, like harsh about my looks, harsh about my body. Like I'm not a super confident person anyway. Like, but I did obviously put myself in this situation to be scrutinized. And you know, that that's, that's a choice that I made. So I understand, but I don't know. I guess on Survivor, people can critique your moves and maybe they'll critique your personality. But I don't know if there's anything worse to an 18 year old girl than them critiquing your looks because it was it was very, very painful. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like like dig, digging up photos of a 14 year old in order to like criticize. And, and uh, this, this whole thing sounds very, uh, very unfortunate. Yeah, it is absurd. It's less absurd to me now that I know that um what what exists in the survivor universe and that i have my own survivor podcast like obviously people are obsessed with reality heat tv so i understand it now but definitely looking at it then and not even knowing that that universe existed was very very strange to me um and my, yeah my brother told me that there's a top model forum on survivor sucks so that might tell you everything that you need to know when i came back and then went and tried to model because now it was this like dream i'd invented for myself because it basically been like presented to me um at that point, you know, 16 other people had done a lot better than me and they all got signed. So they were the focus um, and they didn't really care about me at that point. So I tried the modeling thing for like a couple of years on and off after that, just because I thought it was something I probably should do if I could have some success at it. But I did not have success at it <laughs> and I wasn't good at it and I hated every moment of it. And I don't even know why I attempted it, but I did. And I'm very glad I stopped. Very, very glad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I, I guess like when you're just hanging out and somebody comes up to you and they put you on a TV show, you're like, well, I must be doing something right. Yeah, it was the most exciting thing ever because all of my friends, except for two, 
went on a gap year, went traveling for a year, and I was just going straight to uni. And this was like three days before they were all supposed to leave. I was super depressed that I was going to have this boring life and they were going to do all those fun, this fun stuff. Then someone comes up to me and is like, you can be on reality TV and you're going to be a model. And I was like, this is finally happening for me. Like, I'm also going to have an exciting year. And I mean, it was exciting, top model. It was like the, the highest highs and the lowest lows. But yeah, I think it was just, I mean, any 18 year old, I think would take that opportunity. And again, I don't regret it as much as I've just talked about how horrible it was, but at the same time, uh, yeah, <laughs> not, not a great time in my life. Uh, I mean, do you, do you think you'd ever take the opportunity to go on TV again? No, <laughs> especially because of that. Like people often ask me like, would you go on survivor? Firstly, I'd be terrible at survivor, particularly terrible. I I'm scared of all bugs. I'm super unfit. I think I'd make it through half a day. Anyone who knows me in my life completely agrees. Like I'd be first boot. It'd be terrible. I'd lose all my cred. Um, and then top model, like we ate and stuff and I still couldn't survive that. We weren't even sleeping outside. We were actually sleeping in like amazing hotels and it was horrible. So I can't see myself going on any other TV show as well. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you, you got your you got your taste. You, you got enough, I guess. Yes, I, I had that experience. Now I can always say I was on a reality TV show without without having to do it again. But it's funny because I just like I just use it to annoy people. Like I'll just, you know, when I was on reality TV, <laughs> I just kind of bring it up like that. And so that's my whole that's what I can use from having been on Top Model. Yeah. Uh, so like, did, did you, did you meet any like people there that like, uh, I, uh, Ty, like Tyra Banks does the American version, right? Was there like a famous like person that, that ran that, uh, that version that you were excited to meet? Yeah. I mean, there were a few like celebrity judges and stuff, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't my world. Like if it had been Survivor that I'd gone on, which I was actually a really big fan of, that would be really cool to, you know, meet the host and, and that, but Again, it hadn't been my dream. It it just wasn't it wasn't anything that I'd been super interested in. I, I had watched it a bit before. I, I have not watched it since. Um, so it just yeah, I, I don't think that it was anything too exciting to meet the host and stuff. But the experience itself was really exciting. It's funny because I went to I, I was interviewing some um some people at a fashion show for my work just a couple of months ago, and it was in that exact studio where the, where firstly where I got voted out, and also where the whole boot camp had been. And I had not been back since. And being back there, I had chills. Like, I feel like I was suffering from some some sort of, like, reality television PTSD because I was like, oh, my God, I'm right back here. And I was, like, having flashbacks to this. And I, it was just a crazy experience. I, I mean, I think that's I, I think that's a real thing uh, based on the conversations I've had with, uh, you know, people that have been on the shows. Um, but I was there for two weeks. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's it's such an it's such an extreme experience. Like, have you had any other experiences that have been so concentrated? Um, not in that sense, not in terms of reality TV. When I was thinking back on when I was taking stock of my life to do this podcast, <laughs> I was thinking about what moments kind of define me, and definitely Top Model is one of them. Um, I did have one of the like when I, whenever I told anyone that I was doing this podcast about myself, um, they all said I should you know talk about this one moment, which was definitely a defining moment for me. Which was that I had this again a very strange experience um, where I went on a school trip to Israel in. Um, year 10, 10th grade for you guys, when I was 15. And somehow we went on an excursion to the desert and we all had to leave our phones on the bus. We all had to 
leave everything on the bus and go and sit under the stars and think about our lives. And we were all sitting like 10 meters apart from each other. And somehow everyone left without me. So I got left behind in the desert um, and just walked around for three or four hours at, at nighttime. Um, it was like 9 p.m. to like, I guess, 1 a.m. And yeah, that to me, besides, like when I think back on like the big defining moments of my life, top model, <laughs> maybe, maybe scarier than this. But then, yeah, getting lost in the desert when I was 15 was probably like the closest thing I've come like to a near death experience and definitely a defining moment of my life. So okay, could just like take me through this again. How how did this happen? You were why why were you in the desert? It, 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 it is stupid in hindsight that they wanted us to do this, but basically it was like we would all go and, and sit under the stars and like it's really beautiful in the Israeli desert. I mean there are a lot of stars, but we all had to go and think about our lives and we ought to be far apart and we couldn't take our phone. I mean, it was a recipe for disaster in hindsight, <laughs> but, and then also they didn't want to make a big announcement like, okay, everyone get up and go because they didn't want to like ruin the ambience. So they would go and tap everyone on the shoulder and be like, get up, we're going. But no one came to tap me on the shoulder. Cause I was like the furthest out. So I, yeah, I never got tapped, <laughs> never got picked up from my, from my fitting position. And I saw people walking in the distance back to the bus but there were two buses. So I assumed it was the other bus going first and we were all still hanging out. And then a few minutes later, I'm like, we have been here for a really long time. And then um, called out for my friend who had, I thought had been near me called out and, you know, it just echoed back kind of like, you know, Simba and the Lion King and everyone was gone. So that was traumatic and ended up just, I had no sense of direction. I was 15 and I was paying no attention to where we had come from. So I just walked, I actually walked further into the desert for a few hours um they found me like they were like you are way further in the desert than when we left you um and i i fell into a ditch i found some i, I saw a wild coyote that somehow didn't eat me um it was it was a crazy few hours definitely the, probably the most intense four hours i've had to this point in my life i i mean it sounds like they were trying to leave you behind like uh, yeah they kind of overhauled that program after that happened like there were a lot of calls it was kind of a big deal in the school and the next year the program didn't do so well now it's, it's back to being really popular but they didn't have like any teachers it was all just like 19 year old leaders who were very good but there were 61 people on the program they didn't realize i was lost for two hours afterwards and then they finally did and it was like oh dear um, then they didn't know where I was, if I was in the desert or if I was in the markets where everyone else had been for the past two hours. So it took them a while to find me. Um, I think that they were pretty close to calling some helicopters. But eventually, um, the, one of the security guards and the leader, one of the leaders I was really close with, um, I could hear their voice like and their torch looking for me in the desert. They literally came in a cab to try and find me. And it was great because I genuinely thought I was going to die until then. <laughs> Well, yeah. So tell me, tell me more of it. Like as soon as you realize they're gone, like what goes through your head? I, it was just panic. Like there was no sense of, of any logic. Um, I ran to where I thought the bus was, but again, I don't even know if that's where the bus was. I had no sense of where we had been. It was, it was all very samey. Like everything looked exactly the same in the desert. Um, yeah, I just, and then I just started running around and then in my mind I was like, okay, well I'll just walk back to the highway, which was insane. Um, because I don't even know, I, we were probably kilometers, kilometers and kilometers from, from any type of highway. I don't know how I would have made it back there. I think that that's the most I've ever walked in my entire <laughs> life. Since then, again, I'm not a very fit person, but I was like, okay, I'll just walk to the highway and I'll just, I guess, hitchhike back to a lot, which is where we were. Um, terrible, terrible plan did not go well for me. I probably should have just sat where I was, but 
I don't know, that just, that wasn't what I thought to do as a 15 year old. Um, and I definitely was like, what I cannot do is fall asleep. Cause I was very worried about falling asleep and getting bitten by like a snake or eaten by a dog. So it was very much like, I was exhausted, but I was like, don't sit down, don't stop, don't fall asleep. And I knew that I, I kept walking and I knew that as soon as I stopped walking, I don't know, like all the exhaustion would hit me. Cause the craziest thing about the desert was that like, I wasn't tired walking cause I just had all this adrenaline and like, I'm a very unfit person, as I said. So didn't feel any of that tiredness when I fell in the ditch and hurt my knee. I, which is still like got scars in it. So it was probably a really deep cut. It didn't hurt at all because I just had so much adrenaline. And then the second I was found, I was exhausted and my knee was killing me. So it was a really funny study in survival instincts that just any human um, feeling, like any sense of, I couldn't feel the cold. It was really cold. And I was just wearing like leggings and, you know, a t-shirt and a, and a uh, um, school jumper and our boots, which are terrible, terrible hiking boots. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't feel any of that discomfort until I was actually found. And I actually was like, oh, I'm going to live. And now I can feel human aspects of where I'm at. Yeah. Well, so, so you, you, like you legitimately thought like I could, I could die out here. I mean, I assumed I would die <laughs> because it got longer and longer. And as the hours went on and no one found me, I was like, they're not going to even know where, like, if they even realize I'm in the desert, like how, even if they realize it, how will they find me in this massive desert? I'd walked so far at that point from where I had been. And like, I, at that point, by the time they found me, I was very much at the point of, I'm going to write a message in the sand for my family and then just kind of sit down and just see where this goes. Um, but then they found me right before I got to that point. So yeah, it was crazy. Well, that's, that's what I was going to ask where it's like, like, like in that exhaustion, did you find, did you come to a place that was just like, screw it? Like, I, I don't even like, or, or, or were you just like desperate to, to do anything? I, I was, I was pretty desperate, but at that point I just didn't know how much more I could do. Um, yeah, I just, at that point, at the very end, right when they found me is the first time that I stopped and was like, I'm going to sit down now, wait until morning. Cause at that point it had gotten so dark as well that I was like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm going to wait until morning. And, um, it was, it was crazy because I literally sat down and was like, I'm just going to pray, which is odd for me. Like I, that's not a really big personal belief for me, especially now. It definitely was a bigger part of who I was when I was 15 than what I am now. But it was like the only thing I could think to do at that time. And I just sat down and I prayed and they, they found me. Um, I, I mean, I don't connect those two things, but it was just a very surreal moment. <laughs> yeah, I've just I've always been I've always been curious about like uh, like that moment that you have when you are just like you're really tired and you're just like i don't care anymore whatever the consequences are they'll happen uh but like if you are in a life or death situation like that like like, do do you do you go there like did you felt like did you feel like you were giving up when you were about to sit down or did you feel like that that was just like the best thing that you could do yeah i didn't feel like i was giving up because yeah i was very very scared that giving up was literally giving up on life, which I wasn't prepared to do, especially after only four hours of walking around. Like it hadn't been days. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of felt like I'm probably making this worse, which I was, I was walking in the wrong direction and I'll just, and there's, it's so dark. There's nothing I can do. Like I had a plan. My plan was don't fall asleep, wait until it's light. And then 
try and do something in the light. So it was more of a plan of sitting down than it was mm. giving up on my life. Um, I think I, I got more than four hours in me to actually give up on my entire <laughs> existence. But I definitely had the idea of like, I'll write a message in the fan for my family. And like, that was my, my priority. Um, and yeah, it was a scary experience. It didn't really, I don't think, affect me mentally as much as it probably should. If anything, it gave me like kind of a bit of perspective on life, but in a very teenage way where that went away really quickly, but I was just like very happy to be alive. Um, and then it kind of just became a funny story, you know, like an icebreaker, like a yearbook quote. I got to write about it for uni. I was like, this this actually worked out really well for me. Get to t- talk about it on podcasts like this. Um, yeah, so it didn't really affect me mentally really badly. It probably affected uh, my mom <laughs> worse. Like if she's listening to this right now, she's definitely in tears. Um, she's never really been able to talk about it um she's because my mom is like the epitome of like neurotic jewish mother she had desperately not wanted me to go on the trip in the first place but i had begged and begged and begged and begged and she finally allowed me to so obviously this would happen to me and the first thing i asked was when they when they found me i was like does my mom know and they were like no thank god like that was the main thing i was concerned about besides dying the main thing i was concerned about was dying but second i was like oh, if my mom knows about this this is such a disaster for me right now uh what were you gonna write in the sand i don't know i think i just would have you know written to my mom my dad my brother jason and just told them that like i love them and yeah i guess that that's what i would have written and told them that i don't know <laughs> i didn't want this I'm, I'm lost in the desert and i love you guys i'm sorry and uh yeah Sorry, sorry, I, sorry. I got lost in the desert by a group of people that took my phone away and then told me to have an experience and then didn't tap me. Didn't yeah, like, sorry that this happened. Sorry, I forced you to make me go on this trip, and you were right. My mom's always right, so she proved herself right again in that aspect. But yeah, I think that I wouldn't have been able to sit down if I didn't write a message just saying that I love them. I think I actually did write the message now that I'm thinking about it, and then I was found soon after. Luckily. So what, when did you like first see, like, did you see the car coming or like, what, what was, what was the experience? No, the leader who found me, um, has like a really distinct high pitched voice. <laughs> I just heard her screaming my name. And then I like looked around the corner and I saw like, cause they'd gotten out of the car to search on foot. Mm. And I just saw the, the light of a torch and I just like got up and just ran again faster than I've probably ever run. And I think toppled her over. She's a lot smaller and shorter than me. Um, I was probably the most relieved I've ever been. (laughs) (laughs) What what was going through your head on, on the way back? I was really worried about what my mom would think and what my parents would say. Um, I was super relieved, but also actually coming back to the hotel was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had because I don't know. I haven't spoken about this in ages. It's such an odd thing to talk about, but my, my, we were in this hotel and there were 60 of us and they'd all been looking for hours. Like they'd known at that point that I was gone for a couple of hours. Um, and my best friends, about 10 people were all like at, like right by the fountain in the middle of the lobby. And all the other people were, all the other kids were just like looking down at the lobby from the balconies around the, the hotel. And I think I just like saw my friends and just ran into their arms like I've never been so relieved to see anyone and it had been scary for them too like they were also 15 year olds whose friend had just disappeared and they who they'd been looking for 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 two hours um and I, we were all just crying a lot and that was one of the more emotional moments of the whole experience actually 
Yeah, well, like uh, just just to be the focus of all that and have all the relief of like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm alive now. And yeah, it's all good. Didn't die. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because a couple of my friends as well, I think, ended up being more traumatized by it than me. Like a couple of the people who one of my friends who had been not like because we had quite a lot of space on the bus. So I had been sitting alone on the way there but she'd been sitting in the, like the two seats across the aisle from me. So it was another reason why no one realized I was gone because there were so many of us and I could have been hanging out with anyone. And also no one had been sitting next to me on the bus right there. So, but she always felt guilty. I think that she hadn't realized I was across the aisle from her. But the thing is when everyone came out of the desert, they were all just in this like really (laughs) focused, thoughtful place where they were very like intrinsically thinking. And I guess they weren't thinking like, where is Shannon? So (laughs) just left me there. See that 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 was the true uh, lesson you were supposed to learn in the day. It wasn't about the you know taking the phones. It was like uh, you were chosen to have the truly transcendent experience. Yeah, I think they got more than they bargained for when they were like, "You're going to really think about your life." Like I thought about <laughs> my life. You, you you got it. Like definitely be careful what you wish for because if you wanted me to take stock of where I was as a 15 year old, I got four full hours of that. So thank you so much to the organizers of the tour for making sure I had that. Yeah, they were trying to fight club you. There's like, uh, <laughs> face, face your death. Um, well, on that trip, I had um, been dumped by my boyfriend on the second night. So I was like really sad as well the whole trip. So maybe they were just like, oh, we need a break from her. We were there for four hours. And so finally see the breakups aren't that bad. And it kind of worked for a few days. And then I was like, you know what? Breakups are worse to a 15 year old than almost dying. <laughs> <laughs> was that, was that the, the breakup that led to your current relationship or uh, an earlier one? No. Yeah. That was the same person, but um, it was a earlier breakup. We were very on and off for a few oh, years. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So not quite, not quite a turning point in your life. That, yeah. That, yeah. It was like, Oh, I'm, I'm done. Like I'm in a better place. Oh, we're immediately going to get back together. I think turning points for 15 year olds aren't what they should be. They're very yeah. short lived. Um, so that's why I said it didn't really affect me for the long term. I guess I was just too, maybe too mature at that point because I was 15, but yeah, it was, a, it was a short term um, reaction, I guess, but it was a long-term story that I can tell on podcasts like this. And yeah, it was very bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, all right. Well, and do, do you have any, uh, any other stories? Any other stories? Um, let me, let me think. Uh, I guess, yeah, getting lost in the desert, going on reality television. I don't know if I've done anything as exciting besides that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a lot of excitement uh, to, you know, start your life in South Africa, move to Australia, uh, get into Survivor, go on Top Model, uh, get almost die in the desert. Um, Yeah, it's a lot lot of boring stretches. And then there's like a few moments of excitement in between it. But definitely RHAP and getting asked to be part of the podcast is the most exciting thing to happen to me you know, maybe ever. Like, I think it's, it's more exciting than top model. It, it, it's one of the best things to ever happen to me. So now I feel like there's constant excitement. Now I get to speak to awesome survivor players and podcasters every week. So it's like constantly exciting. Um, but other than that, besides almost dying in the desert and going on reality television, there are, there are definitely long stretches of boredom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, thanks so much for, for doing this with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Taryn. This is such an honor. Like, again, I can't even believe I'm on the Taryn show. A couple of months ago, I was just not in not in this place. And this is just, again, another awesome opportunity and awesome thing that's come out of being part of RHAP. So thank you for having me on. 
Of course. Uh, do, do we have more uh, musical stylings to uh, look forward to? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always participating in the Wandoff. Uh, you know, when it comes around, I can't not throw in a parody song, especially when International Survivor's not currently in season. That kind of takes up a, a lot of my time. So maybe when we get back to season 37. But I think my, my songs are somewhere out there. Um, they're on Spotify, I think, and iTunes still. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play more. I'm gonna write more. But a lot a lot of the the best music I've created is is out there still as well. So do, do you do any like original stuff? Yeah, most of what I did was original. Um, I wrote a lot before before I stopped doing this at about 21. I, I was I, I was um, mostly a songwriter more than I would say even a singer or a musician. So yeah, it was pretty much all original. Very cool. Uh, where yeah. where can people find that if they want to find it? Um, I, have, I haven't even looked at it myself. I think it's just on Spotify so my dad can listen to it a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's on iTunes and Spotify just like under my name. Um, yeah, my dad would know more about this than me because he is certainly my biggest fan. Certainly listening to it probably constantly and that's why it's there. But yeah, I think it's there under my name. Awesome. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Um, you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, um, at Shannon Gates, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-G-A-I-T-Z. And um, you can also follow my cat on Instagram, <laughs> evilcat underscore melody. <laughs> I have to plug that now. Follow my cat. Do you say evil cat? Yeah, my cat's really evil. Um, and it's adorable because she's so cute but so mean. Like she has cat anxiety. It's kind of sad, actually. We've, we've done a lot to try and fix it. But yeah, she just she's a troubled, troubled feline. Um, <laughs> she's been banned from the vet. She constantly is like attacking, but it's so cute because she's so tiny. Um, she hates my boyfriend as well, especially because we're long distance. So he arrives with a suitcase and she's just so unhappy and she just growls at him constantly. So, yeah, she's probably the funniest stories I have <laughs> that aren't about me. Um, you should definitely follow her because she's super entertaining, more entertaining than I am on social media. Is it a cute cat? Yeah. Oh, the cutest cat around, but also super evil. That dichotomy is why it's so funny. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I'm so glad I got to plug my cat's Instagram on a podcast. I think that tells you everything you need to know about me. I mean, I think it says a lot of positive things personally. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you again for, uh, for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. All right. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, The Taryn Show. Uh, you can follow me on, you know, social media things at Armstrong Taryn uh, or, or some other things. I'm on Twitch at Taryn. It's I've, I'm all I'm all over the place. Armstrong Taryn. You'd think with a name like Taryn. I'd have a lot, uh, an easier time at this. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> like what's what's going on here, Shannon? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All my names are taken. Like, uh, I, I, that's impossible. I, I, I went to, I went to make, uh, an, an Instagram account and uh, like every variation was, was taken of, of Taryn, Taryn Armstrong, Armstrong Taryn. It was ridiculous. That's crazy. Like I, I'm the only Shannon Gates in the world, I think spelt the way that I'm spelt. So I get just at Shannon Gates for everything. And it's so clean. It's my favorite thing about my name. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I think I have the worst of, of, of all worlds because I have a, a like weird first name that can be difficult to pronounce to people uh, and they don't know how to spell it, uh, which is like the name that everybody needs to use. So like I, I need a, I need a normal name for that one and then a unique name like you for my last name that that, mm. that can help me, you know, have social media handles. 
Yes, but it is annoying having my name because it's spelt weirdly and it's not how people assume that Gates is spelt. So everyone just like goes ahead and writes it as Gates and they're always wrong. But I mean, it's a, it's a pretty small, small problem to have. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As is, as is mine. Um, so, uh, just, just Google me or something. I don't know. Uh, I, do, do people really like, do they follow? Like, I've always wondered this because when people plug their social media on podcasts, if I'm actually genuinely curious about looking them up, I just Google their name. Yeah. Well, I feel like with you, everyone knows where to find you, surely, by now. Like, you're such a prolific part of RHAP. Like, is there anyone right now who wasn't following you before and it's like, oh, I just don't know how to find Taryn? I, I give up. <laughs> may, you know, I, I, I don't know. The, I mean, the, there's, it, the, the numbers just keep uh, – people are finding me at, at, for some reason. Um, if they can't find you, they're not working hard enough. <laughs> I, guess, I guess part of it is like uh, if, I, if I say it enough, eventually you're going to be like, all right, fine. <laughs> I'll go follow you on Twitter so I can mute you because you only tweet about Big Brother. Uh, <laughs> I follow you and I still enjoy it even though I don't watch Big Brother. Oh, thank you. Uh, and now you'll tweet about this podcast, so it worked out. Yeah, there you go. It's it's it's, it's a long play. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, I will see you next time. Parents asking questions. Parents finding out. Parents looking deeper. That's what it's all about. It's the Tyrone Show, so you